this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 157. We are recording on July 7th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. And today we're talking about our picks for the best, aka our favorite books of the last quarter. Um, I have been on vacation, as you might have noticed, and now I'm back. And we're going to see if I remember how to podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Also, fair warning, Sharifa, you may have seen in the agenda, I am cheating like nobody's business today. (laughs) You have a lot of books to recommend. (laughs) I had an amazing three months of reading. What can I say? There's nothing wrong with that. We love that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I did love it. I quite was very happy about it. Uh, all right. So let's see some housekeeping before we get started. Um, as you might know, but maybe you don't, we have a relatively new podcast. It is called First Edition. And there are all kinds of cool things going on over there, including there have been guests, including S.A. Cosby, Khaled Hosseini, Sarah Bakewell, and Yadon Israel, like a huge smorgasbord of really cool, interesting author and editor guests. Um, Our co-founder, Jeff O'Neill, is hosting it, and he is exploring the wide bookish world with all kinds of different features, including, obviously, interviews. Uh, If you go over there, you can subscribe, hear all of those great authors, and you can also hear things like Book Riot's editors picking the it book of any given month. So to subscribe, go ahead and search First Edition in your podcast player of choice. It's fun. It's a fun show. All right. All right. And then we are going to have a sponsor break before we get into our news. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them. But he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage. But as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, He'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Random House, publishers of Wild Ground by Emily Usher. A story of first love that will break your heart. Wild Ground is a bittersweet novel that follows two teenagers whose all-consuming relationship is tested by the forces of class, prejudice, and addiction in a small English town. From the beginning, it has always been Neef and her beautiful, troubled mother, Chrissy. When they move to a small town to follow Chrissy's older boyfriend, it's a chance to start over. And on the first day in their new home, she meets Danny and the two form a friendship that gives way to the slow burn of romance as they grow up, desperate to escape the confines of their world and the forces that hold their families hostage like substance abuse, poverty, and racism. 
Now, this is perfect for fans of things like normal people, euphoria, and sex education. It centers working class women in small town England. It's steeped in the dialect and lyricism of Northern England. So make sure to check out Wild Ground by Emily Usher. And thanks again to Random House, publishers of Wild Ground by Emily Usher for sponsoring this episode. Okay, well, I guess I will kick us off um, with the first of a couple of awards stories because it is the time of the awards forever (laughs) and ever Mm -hmm. and the 2023 locus award winners were announced which is super exciting there were so many amazing authors familiar authors and really Mm. great books among the finalists for this award so i was really excited to see who got the win um, so for science fiction novel, I'll just read a cup, a few of them. Uh, the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi won. Um, I know a lot of people have been reading that book. I mm-hmm. have not. I have actually never read a Scalzi book. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I know he's super popular and yeah. like well-known and well-regarded, yes. but I just like, you know, I just yeah. missed the train perpetually on that Mm, one mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that was everywhere um this year so or last year I guess so it was unsurprising but so many other great names here too Tochian Yabuchi for Goliath and uh Aliette de Baudard who we both love yes and Emily St. John Mandel Sylvia Moreno Garcia so many names Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fantasy novel, surprise, surprise, <laughs> <laughs> Babel by R.F. Kuang won uh, and is sweeping all of the awards and all of the anticipated best of lists. I know it's just going to be on every single best of the year list at the end of the year. And just as a side note, this is not a science fiction fantasy novel, but Arif Kwong also wrote Yellow Face, which I mm-hmm. just recently read. And it was such a good, thrilling, funny read. Now I feel like, because I, I wasn't as familiar, like I know Arif Kwong, but I, I that's mm-hmm. another author I have not read yet. So now I feel like I have to read Babel. There's like no reason. <laughs> For me not to. I will year. say I haven't read. I'm wa- still waiting on my library copy of Babel to come in because I'm waiting for a hard copy because there's oh. like footnotes and it's a chunker. And I was like, I just don't want to do that digitally. Um, oh, yeah. But I have read The Poppy War. And let me like warn you that yes. if Babel is anything like The Poppy War, it's not funny. <laughs> like That's there's the thing. moments of humor, but it is dark business up in there. And I think Babel is I mean not that yellow face isn't dark also right but it's like a satire it's darkly funny from what I understand I haven't read that one yet but anyway just saying it might not be funny (laughs) that's what worried me uh because I remember you talking about poppy wars and I was like I don't I don't know if I can handle it but I just really love the writing yeah so I I kind of like I'm just gonna bite the totally yeah it's worth it it's worth it i i i believe yeah and we've got a lot of other people in the fantasy novel category we've talked about the finalists before nk jemison t kingfisher tamson muir um rebecca roenhorst nevo one of our favorites Mm -hmm. so many great names again horror novel t kingfisher won uh for what moves the dead which i have not read yet but i do enjoy Kingfisher's work so was happy to see that name Charlie Jane Anders won for YA novel dreams bigger than heartbreak so great to see Charlie Jane Anders get the award uh but again so many so many great books on the list I encourage everybody to take a look at the full list were there any other standouts for you you know the thing I don't know if I just didn't notice before, uh, and this has happened in past years, but Tor had a really good 2023 oh, yeah. Locus Awards. Like they published the winner of sci- the sci-fi novel, um, the YA novel. They pu- are like 
they published, yeah, the novella winner. They are like, they're yeah. like in every category, everywhere, forever. It's wild. Um, they won for best magazine. Like they won for publisher. Like they <laughs> out there sweeping the awards. Apparently, uh, not as not a full sweep, but pretty present. And uh, they really are just like a powerhouse in sci-fi fantasy publishing unsurprising to no one who has been paying attention to imprints so yeah I just it's noticed incredible that. to see them how often the name yeah. is repeated throughout the list it's mm -hmm. wild they do a lot of good work yeah I love uh, let's go right into the Hugo finalists. Hugo yeah. 2023 finalists, uh, also including the Alex Award and the Lodestar Awards, which are technically not Hugos, but are administered at the same time. Um, we've got an amazing slate. Again, a lot of, you know, there's always a decent number of overlap in, in the SFF Awards. So Sylvia Moreno-Garcia is in the mix for Best Novel. So is John Scalzi for Kaiju Preservation Society. Nona the Ninth is in there from Tamsin Muir, Legends and Lattes, T. Kingfish again like there's tons of of overlap um i don't hate that personally because i'm like yep all these books are great <laughs> or at least the ones that i've read i i did vote in the hugos i love voting in the hugos i'm excited to see yes. some of the folks that i voted for on there um did you have any feelings about this list yeah i mean i also thought that it was unsurprising to see a lot of these names. Um, mm -hmm. And I was really happy to see some of these books make it on the list. It's funny because there were, I would say, more authors here that I have not read and I'm less mm. familiar with than uh, the Locust list. Okay. But there are still a lot of repeats. And most of the categories where that's true are, you know, the usual suspects like short story where mm -hmm. I am not. That's not right. my strength to remember to go read short stories in various places in magazines. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I noticed is that unless I'm missing something, there's there are like no authors of color under best series, which I was kind of surprised to oh. see. Because that's, I know that there's some really under. good series. Yeah, yeah. That's not that's a that's a real surprise to me. I mean, I yeah. guess it's not and it is. Like these these finalist pools have been getting progressively more inclusive as you know mm -hmm. more people vote and as we pay more attention to artists by underrepresented you know communities um but now I'm just looking here because I remember I had a really good time filling out my ballot for series there's so many good yeah series. so that's you know the other thing that was surprising to me separately noted is that uh Babel didn't make it into the best novel category for this which I, I kind totally of missed that surprised at because it's been on every other list uh let's yeah. see you are you yeah you're right about the series wow that's a that's a missed opportunity yeah. right there that's a bummer yeah. That was sad to see. I mean, yeah. it was, I think, one of few, I would say, I guess, disappointments about this. Yeah, the other finalist lists are pretty inclusive. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. Is... I did end up looking through it because I was like, oh, my gosh, I hope this is the only yeah. category where yeah. this is the case. Yeah, that's um, a real miss. There's so many amazing series right now. And yeah. uh, not that no shade to the series named here, but like there are other ones that are that deserve to be on that list as well. So for sure. Uh, well, speaking of shade, should we talk yeah. about <laughs> Alex Harrow, who I uh, posted on Instagram so, you know, Harrow's Mirror Mended is a finalist for the Hugo Award, but is not going to be participating. Um, you can read mm -hmm. the Instagram statement. It's about, you know, the continuing crimes against the Uyghur and Turkic populations in China and also the inclusion of Sergei Lukyanenko, who is a Russian author who is an active supporter of the invasion of the Ukraine. And I really appreciated the statement by Harrow. You know, it was like very mm -hmm. much about the privilege of having been nominated before and being able to step back from this one. And I don't know. I what what do you what did you think about it? Yeah, I thought it was really thoughtful. Like I read the whole caption mm -hmm. and it 
I could tell that Harrow really took the time to craft a message that was thoughtful and mindful of, you know, the authors who do not have the privilege of being able to say, I am not going to participate and to kind of bow out. But I also have like, you know, I am, it's a humanitarian concern about the Uyghur and Turkic populations that are um, really being oppressed and Mm -hmm. having all sorts of terrible traumas um, enacted on them. So there are all sorts of things in, in the SFF world where sometimes, for instance, avoiding authors who have been vocal about their support of these crimes. And um, so I was also having conflicting feelings. So seeing that from Harrow, it just kind of made me feel like somebody else was thinking about it and considering it. And so I really appreciated this post. Yeah. No, I agree. She's she's really thoughtful about all of the different nuances and facets of this and, you know, how difficult it is to make choices like this. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. It's a tough world to be a person in. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. And uh, always appreciate seeing a thoughtful, nuanced decision like this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well... To move on to some unusual, but uh, I suppose common news we're seeing more and more now. So Variety reported on this story that had sort of slipped by me until um, somebody on Slack posted about it. So it's Gizmodo's io9, a site that we regularly go oh, to yes. and, you know, refer to when we're talking about news stories. And I love io9. So there was an AI generated post that was published there that was a Star Wars article. And it was, you know, it's supposed to be a chronological list of the movies and TV shows. And This is all sorts of fraught because it was, Mm -hmm. first of all, filled with errors, missing um, certain series and movies and just kind of making up things about the chronology of the franchise. And the big problem, though, was... That nobody, it sounds like, the people who should have known about this article being posted did not know about Mm -hmm. it. So James Whitbrook, who's the deputy editor at io9 and Gizmodo, let everybody know on Twitter that they had no part in the editing or publication of the story um, Whitbrook was basically told about it about 10 minutes before it was published, which is wild to me as yeah. somebody who works yes. in media and is in a position to know about the things that go on the site. Like it is a nightmare to me that something mm-hmm. like that would happen. So Geo Media is the site that owns Gizmodo and io9. And it sounds like based on this article, this was a product of them wanting to integrate more AI into these um, sites. And so they just went ahead and did it, allegedly. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously, nobody took a look at the thing. Nobody double-checked it for accuracy, which is something I think we all know is an important piece of working with and using AI is that it is, it makes things up. Um, So I just read this with a cringe face, like the (laughs) whole way through. I felt so bad for everybody who works at Gizmodo and io9 and 
felt like this cast a terrible pall on the work they do because obviously as you read this article you can tell that they take a lot of pride in the integrity of their work and the accuracy of the work um so it was they knew it was not a good look and it was something that it sounds like was out of their control um so i just feel for them and i sort of hold this up as a use case of terrible ways to use AI. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I just, oh, I don't want to forget to shout out the reporter at Variety, Todd oh, Spangler, yeah. um, Todd who wrote Spangler. the piece. Thank you. Not a bot. It was not written by a bot. It was written no. by a human. <laughs> um, I have, you know, I have been poking at AI, you know, yeah. because obviously, I mean, it's just inescapable at this point. And like yesterday, I was using it to do drafts of marketing emails because mar writing marketing emails is honestly one of my least favorite tasks in my job. And if I can that get a draft fair. that then I can fix, like, you know, it's just, I uh, and it's like, a, it's a marketing email, like I'm going to fix it. But like, still, it's a nice starting point for some things that are like low, um, what do I want to say? Low impact. Whereas yeah. like, and, and I understand, like I can get into the headset of somebody who's like, Oh, it's a chronic chronological list of star Wars movies and TV shows. Like this is exactly the kind of thing theoretically that AI would be good at because it doesn't have to have an opinion. It doesn't have to do any analysis. All it has to do is put together a chronicle chronological list of things. However, mm -hmm. The problem always and forever with AI is that it is only as good as the data it has been analyzing. And we all know that it's analyzing the Internet and the Internet is full of lies. Like the Internet yes. is full <laughs> of blatant lies, misinformation, accidental errors, like obviously. So the fact that somebody clearly, if any editor had been told about this, they would have been like, sure, start it with the bot. And then somebody has to check it because the internet is not accurate in yeah. all of its, you know, messy glory. <laughs> but the people who were responsible for this clearly did not think it all the way through or did not have the expertise to know that it was going to be wrong and would need to be checked. So like, again, you know, I... Just this is, as you said, this is just the start of what's going to be a pretty regular occurrence. And like I again, I can get behind, you know, if you were going to have to Google it using AI to give you the Google search results seems mm -hmm. reasonable to me. But then you have to do the human part. You have to do the human part to get good content. The end. Like, period. That's yes. just that's just it. There are good ways to use AI and there are bad this ways not, to use yeah. AI. And this is a bad way. It's just <laughs> bad. And like you're trying to like be you're trying to save money and all you're doing is creating more problems for your staff and your company. Yes. Like, be smarter. Be smarter. Yes. It's not even giving you what you want. No, you're not getting the thing. It's so silly. Oh my goodness. All right. <laughs> Real quick, real quick. Um, I just think this is amazingly cool. The Library of Congress is teaming up with NASA. Oh, we reported on this on Book Riot. You'll see a link in the yes. show notes. The Library of Congress announced that they're in partnership with NASA. The Europa Clipper, which is getting launched next October, is going to have a poem on board by U.S. Poet Laureate Ada Limon, who, if you haven't read, is amazing. Side note. The poem is literally going to be engraved on the spacecraft. Like, how freaking cool is that? But then on top of it, you can, like, sign your name to the poem as part of a Mission in a Bottle website initiative that NASA has. And everybody who puts their name in before December 31st of this year will be engraved on a microchip to accompany the poem. So you better believe I put my name in. Like, I want to <laughs> go, even if it's just my name on a microchip, I want to go to Europa. Like, that's freaking cool. That's so cool. Um, and I thought that might be relevant to some of y'all's interests. 
You know the aliens are going to find that microchip and put you on a list <laughs> of first contact visitors. They're like not even going to know what it is. Like, it's like the idea that somebody could like, like an alien is going to like be able to like know and then access a microchip of memes is like laughable to me. I know. But I, I don't care. Like I don't care. <laughs> It would be amazing, but also the idea of having to write this poem, I oh feel like goodness. I would be paralyzed yeah. by. <laughs> yeah, Limon talks about that. Um, there's a great quote from her in the article uh, about like how nerve-wracking it was to write the poem. Like, yeah, how do you write a poem that's going to get engraved onto a spaceship? Like, what? That's bananas. Yeah. So cool, Big, though. Yeah. yeah, super freaking cool. That was a great one. It's a good one, right? It's a good one. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and do our next sponsor break so we have time to get in all of my cheater. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Underlined, publishers of The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson. If you know me, you know I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I've been reading her since I was an actual child and reread her at least a few times every year. So I'm so excited that this sequel is out because it's reminding me about the original that I've been meaning to read for quite some time. And now I can read both back to back. So how do you solve a murder? You follow the lessons of the master, of course, Agatha Christie. Iris and Alice find themselves in the middle of another Castle Cove mystery in this sequel to the New York Times bestseller, The Agathas. This time, to understand the lies of the present, the Agathas will need to look to the mysteries of the past. The Night in Question is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. That audiobook I have my eye on, and it's narrated by Mayor Dudeja, Sophie Amos, and Holly Linneman. Thank you once again to Underlined and The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. From the best-selling author of The Seven and a Half, Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, comes a new mystery. A fog has swept the planet, killing anyone it touched except for the island where villagers and scientists live in harmony. The villagers content to do what they're told by the scientists. But then one of the beloved scientists is found brutally stabbed to death, and they realize the security system around the island has malfunctioned and has wiped everyone's memories of exactly what happened the night before. So someone on the island is a murderer, and they don't even know it. Best-selling author Stuart Turton is a major voice in the mystery space, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, and his second novel, The Devil and the Dark Water, have sold over 450,000 copies and become a TikTok phenomenon. He's received fantastic reviews from best-selling authors in major outlets. Make sure to check out his latest work, The Last Murder at the End of the World. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. So as I said, I am the biggest cheater in the studio right now. Um, Studio. The closet. My recording (laughs) closet. We sounded so fancy for a second I know. For one second, let me dispel (laughs) the mythology. There's no studio. It's a closet. Um, Yeah. I had a really good... I mean, part of it was that I was on vacation and then suddenly I had like, you know, long plane flights and downtime Mm -hmm. to actually like do the kind of reading that I feel like I have not gotten to do since I was like a teenager. I don't know what has happened in previous summers, but this was an incredible reading couple of months for me. And there were so many good books that came out between April and the end of June. So I am thoroughly cheating. Um, So let's get into it. Uh, My first, my sci-fi pick my like formal quote-unquote pick for science fiction is The Archive Undying by Emma Mieko Camden, which if you follow me on Instagram, you saw me just like raving about. It is the kind of bananas, messy, human, nuanced, queer, crazy world buildings that is just like my catnip. It's also the first in a series, which I could not be Mm. happier about. Side note, like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for whatever the heck is going to be next in this truly bananas world. Um, There are 
a lot of different characters and there's some interesting playing with narrative POV. Uh, I kind of want to comp it to um, the uh, the Locked Tomb series by oh, oh. Uh, Tamsin Muir and and the fifth season books by N.K. Jemisin because both of those authors are messing with our heads throughout those series and like mm. Candid is 100% messing with us in this book <laughs> in like the best way um i will give some content warnings before i get into some more plot specifics there is intimate partner violence there's suicidal thoughts there's gore there's some body horror i i got through it so you know if you are using me as your own personal rating system i could manage it but there's a lot of like tendrils y'all like so many tendrils. Oh. so yeah it's like bleh. um <laughs> But this is a world that feels like it could be like a future version of our world where, you know, AI that we keep talking about became sentient and they basically became gods um, and created their own kingdoms. And then some of them like they're they became corrupted, like their their literal program became corrupted and they died, but they took their kingdoms with them. And some of them had sort of avatars if you will like people that it had integrated with and very strange things happened to some of those avatars so sunai is one of our main characters and he uh was an acolyte of the robot god of kuanmo and when it went mad and destroyed everything he survived but not unchanged and he is like He's drinking, he's sleeping around, like he's just surviving and just trying to forget. Like his life is oriented around forgetting what has happened to him and what continues to happen to him as a result of this uh, event in his past. But then he sleeps with the wrong man and ends up on a mission that's going to take him right back to everything he's trying to avoid, as is always going to happen, right? In one of these kinds of books there are giant like robot mechas there are strange creatures there's a lot of complicated like machinations and local politics there's different cultures and communities in conflict there is so much going on here i am obsessed with all of these characters they are sometimes making terrible choices but i like can't help but love them in all of their messy humanity I just loved this book so much. And Candid, this is not Candid's first book. So now I have to go back and read everything they've written because I'm just, <laughs> I'm so obsessed with the archive. I'm dying. Like, I I don't know why, how I missed, you know, the this author before, but like, I found you and now we're going to read all of your books. So I'm pretty excited about it. And I just like, I don't even want to tell you that much more about it because you just need to experience it for yourself. Hmm. It's it's so good. Sharifa, I think you would love it. Love, I love, have love it, it on my shelf. So it's Do made you? me excited to actually read it. Yes. Get into it. I know it. nothing it's, about it. It is a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot, but in the best possible way. Again, like very much a comp for, you know, Tamsin Muir and N.K. Jemisin. So it's if two that's, great authors. Though. Yeah, two great authors. If that's your vibe, like you're going to love this one. Uh, okay. And then a quick shout out to <clears throat> another sci-fi book that I read in this quarter that I can't not talk about briefly. Uh, it's Titanium Noir. It's by Nick Harkaway, who, full disclosure, has become a friend over the years. Um, but I have read everything Harkaway has written. And this is like a interesting one. It's a noir. It's It's like a... A detective, you know, gumshoe, private eye, you know, crunchy, like crusty outside, heart of gold inside. But in a world in which people become medically enhanced to be like stronger and live longer, but it, it literally makes them giants. Like they become huge, huge oh. beings and like very like, you know, tough skin and like they are like almost indestructible um, and they're called Titans. And our detective, Cal Sounder, is a human who has been in a relationship with a woman who has become a titan 
Um, and that's comp- hashtag complicated. Uh, and then there is a homicide um, near his house, actually. Uh, and he gets called onto the scene. And of course, everything becomes very complicated. Always complicated. Everything is complicated forever. <laughs> um <laughs> And there's a lot of money being thrown around. There's secrets. There's competing interests. There's a sex club. Like, it is a wacky ride. It is really interesting as a thought experiment. And Harkaway is really good at building characters who you, again, just want to root for. And, like, you don't always love the choices that they're making, but you care for them anyway. Um, Some content warnings for this one. There is discussion of intimate partner violence and also just, like, a lot of fight sequences. Like, so many fight sequences, just FYI. A lot of fights. All right. I'm done for now. (laughs) (laughs) I read Angel Maker by Harkaway and really loved that book. And this sounds like it has some of those elements. It's like, if you like Harkaway, it's Harkaway. Like, it's, yeah, it's 100%. Like, that's, it's, it's definitely vintage Harkaway. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, Well, my first pick is uh, actually science fantasy. So Mm. it's got a mix. It's The Haunting of Alejandra by V. Castro. And this is a, it features and sort of reframes the story of La Llorona, who is one of the most terrifying icons, in my opinion, of Mexican folklore. (laughs) Like, yeah. So this definitely has the horror. It brings the horror. Um, And the main character is Alejandra, as you might imagine, and she's a, a woman with three children and a husband who really dismisses her needs. Truly, I disliked this husband character. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, no. Um, and so Alejandra finds herself questioning the decision she's made about her life since marrying. And she starts to think really more intensely about why she made those decisions. Um, She does not question her love for her children, but she is beginning to feel like her life is defined by them and her value in the family is solely attached to her kids. She has no job. She has no money of her own. She has no family nearby. She's actually an adoptee with a strange, if non-existent, relationship with her adoptive parents. And because of her husband's career she recently moved away from the biological mother she was only just starting to get to know so she's really feeling alone in the world and you really get the sense of that in the beginning of the book as you're you're introduced to this character um and so in this headspace that she is in on the brink of a spiral she sees this terrifying vision in her home um, and it's a woman or creature veiled and ghoulish who seems to only appear to remind her that she's worthless and ungrateful so a really awful voice in her head and this this spirit or being or whatever it is she doesn't know Seems like it's trying to drive her closer and closer to the brink. Um, And the terrors that are inspired by this recurring vision, which doesn't limit its hauntings to her, but also to her children, force her to take a closer look into her family history. And of course, she's only just started to learn about her family. She had no idea who her parents were or where she came from. Um, She knows she is Mexican-American, but she doesn't really know the history. So she ends up seeking the help of a therapist and curandera, who is the only person who really seems to listen to Alejandra and believes her. And she starts to realize that she's going to need all the help she can get to keep her family and the generations to follow safe. Uh, so I just thought this was a really clever look at the story of La Llorona. I I would probably read anything about this mythological character because I remember hearing the story for the first time and how creepy it was. And, you know, I was just beginning to develop my understanding of sort of feminist critiques of mm. 
of age-old stories about women and La Llorona really struck me as one that was prime for a looking at. And it does do that. This story does take an age-old story of a monstrous woman and analyzes and critiques it um, because it is this story about a grieving mother whose pain takes her children down with her. And the story really does more to examine a mother's pain and the loss of autonomy that can come with expectations for sacrificing your identity to being a mother and a wife. Um, and it does a really cool thing in that it goes back and forth in time from before Mexico's colonization to during and after, and it tells the story of generational trauma from colonization. So that's all linked in there as well. Um, and there's also a whole bunch of content warnings here. It is a horror story. There is infant death, there's maternal mortality, um, attempted suicide, child endangerment, there's uh, spousal abuse and rape. So, so much uh, as far as content warnings go. So note that. But it's a really great story. And there is a sci-fi element that I will not get too much into for risk of spoilers. But I didn't expect that bit of it. And I ended up enjoying it a lot. So again, that was The Haunting of Alejandra by V. Castro. That book has been everywhere. And yeah. <laughs> I think I'm not probably going to read it, but I'm glad for everybody who that's their jam. Um, there is a lot of body horror. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like too much for me, but it also sounds really, really good. So I'm happy for happy for that book to be in the world for people to yes. find it. All right. My fantasy pick is Untethered Sky by Fonda Lee. We have talked about Fonda Lee before, right? Like y'all yeah. know. Uh, Greenbone Saga, uh, like award-winning, you know, books. Uh, this is so interesting. This is a novella, and it is like a medieval-ish world. It's an epic fantasy. If you had asked me what I would expect from Fonda Lee, like this would not be it, right? Like based on the previous yeah. books that have come before. So I remember talking about this as one of my most anticipated because I was just like, what? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and it once you read it, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. Like Fonda Lee absolutely wrote this because I think it's interesting to see. And you can see this with like, I think Silvia Moreno Garcia comes to mind as somebody who like doesn't care about what genre she's writing in but is going to deliver an amazing story. And Fonda Lee clearly has that same ability. Um, Untethered Sky is about a young woman named Esther whose family was, you know, decimated by this horrible incident. Um, she lost, you know, her mother and her younger brother to a manticore attack and her father does not cope with this well. And she decides that, like, her goal in life is to become a handler for the rocks, R-O-C-S, you know, giant birds, um, who are used to hunt manticores. Um, so she's going to become a monster killer. And this follows her from before the horrible incident to her career as a... Uh, as a rooker is what it's called. And it is not a shiny happy story i it's pretty dark actually i don't know that i was quite anticipating how dark this book would be but it is dark um i will give content warnings for like on the page child death graphic violence there's also animal abuse and animal death like this is a this is a rough one but actually that's what makes it so good because what lee is doing here is like like I think like think about Hawking right like it's like kind mm. of a romanticized thing right like it seems really cool and interesting and kind of medieval and I don't know anything about it other than like wow that's that seems cool but when you actually look at a relationship between a handler and a wild animal who has now been trained to respond to a handler like it is actually not romantic and you <laughs> just sort of strips away 
all of that gauzy, you know, romanticism to give us like kind of a grim portrayal, but also like it's complicated because yeah, like this is a protective role. Um, ha- there's no other good way to control these, you know, these monster attacks. So like, but then also it gets even more complicated than that. And it is really fascinating. I could not put it down. I was extremely compelled by Esther's story and the, the choices that she's making. Again, so much morally gray in my readings right now. It's like everybody's <laughs> everybody's grappling with like moral questions and not there's no easy answers here, much like real life turns out. Um, and I just yeah, I was really gripped by this in a lot of different ways I thought the ending was absolutely perfect I like could not have Ah. asked for a better ending yeah I will say it really lands really like the ending really lands and I super appreciate what Lee did here Um, it's just a really it's a really fascinating story and I highly recommend it but like you know go in a little bit braced Uh, so yeah that is that is Untethered Sky by Fonda Lee. And then I'm cheating, cheating. A shout out. <laughs> another shout out. Also weirdly involving animals. I didn't do that on purpose. Um, there's another book, uh, Our Hideous Progeny by C.E. McGill, that is a sort of sequel to Frankenstein. The main character, Mary, is the great niece of Victor Frankenstein. And she is like, she is in a marriage that is on the rocks you know they're poor and like struggling with money they're both scientists she and her husband um and trying to make inroads into the like royal society of paleontologists in 1850s london which is very difficult for both of them for different reasons i mean mary is a woman so that's you know not done and her husband is having his own issues um and she finds some old family papers that detail what exactly frankenstein was up to and thinks that this is her ticket to becoming a recognized scientist except instead of trying to bring a person back to life they're paleontologists they want to make dinosaurs Mm. They are trying to make dinosaurs, y'all. It is wild. It is like has some twists and turns and, you know, dark moments. Um, It is overall very triumphant, I want to say, is the word I want. And there's a lovely sapphic um, romance that is a sub plot that I really wasn't expecting and so found very uh, delightful when it, it became part of the story. And yeah, I just, McGill like really channels that London, you know, right before the turn of the century and what was going on in science in that time period and what it would have been like to be a female paleontologist, you know, and all of the struggles. And then, you know, all of the personal struggles that that Mary goes through. You're just like, oh, friend, I feel for you. Um, I just thought this was so well done. So if you like a gothic story, if you're a Frankenstein fan, um, if you like historical sort of, you know, speculative fiction, this one is for you. Uh, So again, that's Our Hideous Progeny by C.E. McGill. Oh, content warnings, Uh, violence against women, and then obviously animal experimentation and violence against animals because they are trying to make a dinosaur. I love an animal theme, which sounds right. weird to say now after content warning. <laughs> I know. It's weird. Sorry. <laughs> that does sound like a great read. Um, yeah, it's good. And I feel like H is for Hawk would be a good companion non yeah. read for. It's been on my list forever. I just haven't gotten to it. I love that book so mm. much. Not SFF, but still highly recommended. Okay, well, I'm cheating two times over as well because, (laughs) one, I have a shout out that I want to include at the end for a book that I'm not done reading. Mm. And then, two, the book I'm about to talk about, Flux, by Jinwoo Chong, I realized was published actually at the tail end of last quarter. Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I didn't know about it until this past quarter. So there you go. I'm going to talk about it anyway. 
So a flux is this super disorienting time travel story. And I'm just going to start right away with a content warning for the death of a parent because that's like kind of at the heart of this story, uh, which is about a queer, white, and Korean-American man who lost his mom to a tragic accident as a child. And he's been living with this unprocessed grief and guilt about this moment, like all his life. He's, you know, um, a youngish man. Uh, when we meet him in the story. And yeah, it's, as I said, really disorienting, as disorienting as the time travel component itself. It goes back and forth in time, uh, the narration with memories of scenes from an old TV show that plays a big part in the story cut in as well. Um, And it's narrated as a sort of tell-all to the main character in this fictional detective show. So there's some meta stuff going on here as well. And the story as a whole kind of retains the noir vibe of the fictional TV series. It has a lot of that that grittiness. Um, And we start with Brandon, who was just laid off from his job at a magazine. He's ghosting his pseudo-relationship, making some interesting choices in his life, Uh, not really all there, Um, very, uh, he's very in his own world in a self-destructive way. And he ends up having this near-fatal accident leaving work. And then from there, Brandon meets a stranger, this man who witnessed the accident and offers him a job opportunity out of the blue. And then Brandon's connection to this mysterious company the guy works for, who has a celebrity boss, who's the head honcho of this company, this this job, the work that he's employed to do takes him to strange places and leads to these inexplicable time hiccups that he starts to become aware of. And because of them, he investigates what exactly is happening to him and sees a different kind of opportunity in the dangerous position he finds himself in. And I have to be kind of cryptic about the story because (laughs) it has a lot of like unexpected twists and turns. And the thing that I really enjoyed about the story is that it, it reads like a puzzle and all of the pieces start to fall into place as you read the story And they really don't come together. It's still pretty confusing until almost the very end. Mm. So it's a lot of figuring out what exactly is happening with Brandon, what, how the pieces of the past, present, and future are connected, and what is at the heart of Brandon's story and what's driving him here. Because... He really seems unaffected by everything. He seems like he's apathetic to the things going on around him and in his life. He has a big wall built up around himself. Um, But there's a lot going on in this story. There's exploration of identity as an Asian American and what the loss of one side of your identity might look like as a biracial person. Also, how unprocessed grief can have really ugly effects on your life and the people around you and can reach beyond the event itself into your future. And also about representation in media and the cult of celebrity. So <laughs> I I have to it's say, <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. And the funny thing about this book is at the end of it, I was like, oh, you know, I think therapy could have been a healthier solution to time travel (laughs) in this story. (laughs) But of course, that wouldn't be nearly as interesting. So (laughs) there's that. And I was like, wow, therapy. It's so good. And Brandon, honestly, to me, is a really unlikable character. I think you might have guessed that from the way I've been describing <laughs> him. He, he's somebody who really takes his pain out on the people around him. And his pain has made him a toxic person. But this was really complicated in that 
there is more than one toxic character and there's this really gloomy feel, but it is again that putting the pieces of the puzzle together and knowing that there's a real hurt that happened to Brandon as a child that has caused this, um, Mm. caused him to be a kind of inexcusably horrible person to a lot of people. But um, I haven't watched this movie in a really long time, but the way it moved around and confused me kind of reminded me of 12 uh 12 monkeys that yeah right terry gilliam yeah 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 it was that that is the feel it gave me and i remember thinking i have to rewatch that while reading this book because it was just like totally it was a it was a challenging read but to me in a really great way Hmm. so again that was flux by jinwoo chong Um, And so, yes, I have to shout out a book that I am not done with, but I am really loving and I can tell it's probably going to be one of my best reads of the year. And it's Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. It's a dystopian satire. I feel like it's been around too. It's been talked about a lot. It just came out pretty recently so it has some it has some paths to forge but i i think that nana kwame ajebrenya is becoming one of my favorite contemporary mm. satirists like i loved friday black his mm-hmm. collection of short stories and i think that all of the stories but really the titular story showcased his talent for satire and he really drives it home here in chain gang all stars um which is a story that examines the exploitation and dehumanization of people who have been car- incarcerated among mm. other things uh but it follows a few characters from different walks of life with different perspectives of the chain gang all stars which um features people pulled out of prisons into stadiums to battle to the death in front of an audience that really idolizes and objectifies them in a really uncomfortable way. Mm. Uh, It's this lucrative blood sport that airs across the country. And the main characters um, are chain gang all-star favorites, Stax and Loretta, who are romantic partners and also partners as members of the same link. So they effectively don't have to fight each other. They work together and support each other in in some ways. Um, There's also some tension there. But it's just this really uncomfortable look at, you know, convenient rationalizations for stripping these people of human rights. And it has these darkly humorous call outs to how far the commodification of human suffering can go, which will feel, I think, horrifyingly realistic Mm -hmm. and not too far from our present. And it also looks at the close ties between our system of incarceration and capitalizing uh, capitalism, complete with sponsorships from companies with an uncanny (laughs) resemblance to very familiar brand (laughs) names we know today. Like you will be able to make the connections when you hear the descriptions and the names of these companies. But yeah, I I am just loving this book and it's giving me everything I hope for from this author. So again, that was Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. That's on my list. I got to bump it up. I got to bump oh, it up. It's so good. You will, I think you will really enjoy it. Yeah, it sounds very in my wheelhouse. All yeah. right. Well, uh, that was all of our cheating for the day. <laughs> <laughs> As of Evia is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For even more book recommendations, um, including by the time this goes up, our best books of the year so far across all of our contributors, go to bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts, including first edition at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you, as always, for joining us for these conversations. We super 
super appreciate it. Um, if you would like to email us your thoughts, feelings, favorite books, pet pictures, etc., you can do that at sffyeah at bookriot.com. You could also review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, wherever. Uh, it helps other people to find the show. And then in this increasingly fragmented social media world, <laughs> Sharifa, where are you? I am mostly on Instagram. Please don't follow me on threads yet because I don't know what that's all about <laughs> yet. <laughs> but you can find me at S sign of Williams, S S C A I N A B Williams. I am also on Instagram as I am Jen IRL, J E N N I R L, or on Tumblr as Jen IRL. I deleted my Twitter, but somebody talked me into being on Blue Sky. So if you're already on there, it's Jen IRL. Uh, and I can't remember where else I am at the moment. So we'll just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk to you next time. Bye.